Hebrews 3.1 says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Give your full attention to him. Think carefully about him. Fix your mind's eye upon Jesus. You know, with the popularity of TikTok and other short-form video-serving platforms, there has been increasing discussion where they're concerned about what the impact these have on our brains. TikTok and similar platforms, they're designed to be addictive, holding the viewer's attention, keeping them watching video after video, scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and watching. You, you know what I'm talking about. You've been on TikTok before. And you, you may not find every video to be interesting, but the system, it's designed to let you easily and quickly scroll to the next video and then to the next video, searching for something that will capture it your attention, and the system is watching you as you're watching it. Because it's constantly analyzing what you are watching, and then it tries to serve you more of the same kind of things that you're watching. So if you keyed into those cat videos, magically all of a sudden you see so many more cat videos coming up. That's not by accident. He goes, oh, you're a cat video person, so I'm going to give you lots of cat videos. The system is addictive, and it also makes us impatient at the same time. If you've spent much time on TikTok, you know firsthand how effective it is at keeping you engaged before you realize that you can spend an hour flipping through and watching the endless stream of content of cat videos or the French bulldogs or lions attacking animals in the jungle, or whatever it is that you're into. Maybe it's like, you know, the, the, those like, you know, 30-second recipes on how to make things, and on and on. Some of you guys go, really? I need to spend more time on TikTok. I didn't realize it had all that cool stuff. It's like, I remember reading an article a number of years ago that talked about how advertisers on television were moving away from the city's 60-second commercial format to the shorter 30-second format and then even to the 15-second format. And the reason was is because it was becoming increasingly difficult to hold people's attention for that long. We noted when we were studying Hebrews 2 verse 1 how we are living in very distracting times. We have access to more information more quickly from more sources than ever before. But rather than that information making us deeper and more thoughtful, it has had the effect of making us less focused, more distracted, more random, less thoughtful. We've become consumers of bits and pieces of information. We're, we are data samplers skimming over the surface of things, depending on headlines and sound bites. We've become increasingly impatient with information sources. I mean, we want it now, and we want the bottom line right this minute. We don't want to have to work to get it. 
And this is unfortunately the kind of Christianity that many people have settled for in our times too. They have a surface understanding of the Christian faith. They have opted for quick summaries and one-liners and abbreviations and headlines. And this has left these same people vulnerable to being misled, to being manipulated, to having their sense of right and wrong disoriented, to being easily discouraged and disillusioned to the point of quitting Jesus when life gets difficult or someone challenges their faith commitment. We can't afford to settle for sound bite Christianity. It will eventually lead to harm in our life. Invest the time and the energy and the patience needed to build a good, solid foundation for your faith in Christ. Know what you believe and why you believe it. Don't settle for fast food Jesus. The author of Hebrews exhorts us to fix our thoughts on Jesus. And I can't think of a time in history when this exhortation and encouragement is not more relevant and important than in our own day. Today in our study through the letter of Hebrews, we'll be looking at the second major comparison that the writer makes in the book of Hebrews to point out the superiority of Jesus Christ. The first comparison that he made was between Jesus Christ and angels in Hebrews chapter 1. And now he's going to compare Jesus and Moses. Angels were highly respected by people, and understandably so. They are amazingly powerful beings, and they were the administrators of the covenant relationship that God established with people of Israel when he gave the law of Moses to them. And as amazing as angels are, though, they are servants of Jesus Christ the Son. And now turning to Moses, he's considered one of the greatest people to have ever lived. Through Moses, God led the people of Israel out of Egyptian slavery, developed this band of slaves into a viable nation, led them up to the border of the new homeland God promised to give them, and was the one through whom God gave the law, the most sophisticated and advanced civil law, societal codes, and theological treatises the world had ever seen. Even the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and the civil laws of our own country are based on the writings of Moses. As great as Moses was, though, he was a servant of Jesus Christ, the Son. Well, let's begin in Hebrews 3.1. It says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. It begins with the word, therefore. And whenever we see a therefore in the Bible text, we should take notice because it's one of those words that often draws things together to make an important point of some kind. One of the first things we want to do when encountering a therefore is to ask, what's it there for? What has just been said? 
or what is about to be said that the therefore is referring to. And in this case, the author is referring to everything that he has said up to this point in the letter. What has he said? Well, he has said that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of everything that preceded him, that he is above all things. He is God the Son, far superior to angels, the administrators of the old covenant relationship between God and people. Through Jesus Christ, God has brought salvation to us to bring about our redemption. The Son, Jesus Christ, became like us in every way, it tells us, suffering and dying for us, providing atonement for our sins, and having suffered as a human being, He's able now to help us in a uniquely empathetic way. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on this Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Or to say it using different words, but with the same idea, knowing now who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us, let's thoughtfully fix our mind's eye on him, the one God has sent to us, and the one who represents us before God. It says, therefore, holy brothers and sisters. And we noted in Hebrews 2.11 last time that followers of Jesus are part of the same family as Jesus Christ. We are his brothers and sisters and that we have been set apart as the Lord's people. And we also talked about how we are not holy because of our own merits, because of things we do. That is impossible for any of us to pull off. Instead, Jesus Christ makes us holy, sharing his holiness with us. It says, who share in the heavenly calling. We who share in the heavenly calling, we are called from God. We have a calling from God and we are being called to God who has glory as our destiny, which we share with Jesus Christ. It says, fix your thoughts on Jesus. And as we mentioned earlier, fixing our thoughts on Jesus means to place our attention upon him, to study him carefully, to fix our mind's eye upon him, to thoughtfully consider him, who he is and what he's done for us. And there is nothing else as important or as worthy to fix our attention upon and to think deeply and carefully about than Jesus Christ. I mean, there's not another topic or thing in all of existence as productive for us to put our mind upon than Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in Colossians 2.3 that all of the treasuries of wisdom and knowledge are in Jesus Christ. Let's push out the flood of lesser things that want to overwhelm our mind and our time and open ourselves up wide to knowing Jesus Christ and pursuing Him with determination. He is a subject so vast and deep, we will never reach the end of it or touch the bottom of it. Think about how you spent your time this last week. And think about how you are planning to spend your time this week. I want to encourage you to carve out a chunk of that time to grow in your knowing of Jesus. He's our apostle and high priest, it says here. 
An apostle, that title, apostle, it's usually applied to the first 12 disciples and to Paul. But here it's applied to Jesus. He's our apostle. And the literal meaning of that word apostle is one who is sent with a message. Jesus, he is the apostle of God. He is the one who has been sent to us by God. He is the one through whom God has spoken to us. Hebrews 1, 2, you might remember, it says God has spoken to us by his Son. And Jesus is the very message that has been spoken to us. And in a sense, then, the, the 12 apostles, they're sub-apostles of the apostle, Jesus. They were sent out with the message that Jesus gave them, which was the message that God gave to him as the Son, and the message that they were given to share is Jesus himself. The Logos, the Word of God, the Gospel, the Good News. Jesus is also our High Priest. You might remember a High Priest, it serves, he serves as the representative of God to the people and the representative of of the people before God. Well, Jesus is our high priest. He is God's representative to us and our representative before God. He is the one who has offered his own blood, it tells us, as a sacrifice for our sins and has obtained eternal redemption for us. And he is now living forever, interceding for us before God the Father. Verse 2, it says, He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. So the author now begins this comparison of the faithfulness of Jesus with that of Moses. And this, this would have been a very meaningful comparison to make, especially for the Jewish Christians of that time, since Moses was so deeply important to them as Jews. As we mentioned a moment ago, he's the person that God used to lead their people out of Egyptian slavery to their promised land of Israel. And he is the person through whom God gave them their law, which became the foundation and the framework for their whole way of life. The writer of Hebrews, he begins by saying then, we all know how faithful Moses was in carrying out all that God gave him to do under the old covenant relationship. But Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant relationship, he's even more faithful and capable than Moses was. He will bring our great salvation that's been promised to us to ultimate fulfillment. We can be confident that Jesus is going to do it. And in these next verses, the author uses several closely related metaphors and analogies in making his comparison to being between Moses and Jesus. So in verse 3, he says here, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. So first, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses because Jesus is like the builder of the house where Moses is just a part of the house. Honor's given to a beautiful, grand building. But the architect and the builder of the building is certainly worth greater honor than the thing he built. 
the building would not even exist if it weren't for the architect and the builder. Moses, he's like one of the large supporting columns in the building, while Jesus, he's the architect who designed the building and the one who built the building. The creator is greater than what he's created. Jesus is the creator. Moses, on the other hand, he's in a very real and literal sense one who was created by Jesus. Because in verse 4, he goes, For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. So playing off of this idea of a house and its builder, the author, he makes this further point that God, he's the builder of everything. He told us in Hebrews 1-2 that the universe was created through the Son, Jesus Christ. And in Hebrews 1-10, it says, The Son laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of His hands. In Hebrews 2-10, it says, Everything exists through and for God. Because He is the builder of everything, there's nothing greater than Jesus Christ. Five. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. So the author changes his metaphor and his analogy a little here. Rather than Moses being a part of the house and Jesus being the builder of the house, now he says Moses is a servant in the house while Jesus is the son of the house. Although Moses was a faithful servant in God's house, Jesus is a faithful son over God's house. Moses, bearing witness to what would be spoken of by God in the future, says here, even as great of a servant of the Lord as Moses was, the work that he carried out, pointed to, foretold, predicted, imitated the work that would be done by Jesus when he came. It says, Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house. The, the difference in privilege and authority between a servant and a son is huge. A servant carries out the orders of his master, and the son is the master giving the orders. The son also has a deeper commitment to the house than a hired servant would. It's his house. So he has greater reason for being faithful to the house than a servant would. Jesus, he made a similar point in John 10 when he said he's the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He said a hired hand, in contrast, when faced with losing his life for the sheep, will run away. Well, they're not my sheep. I'm not going to risk my life for them. But Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. These are my sheep. And I'm laying my life down for my sheep. Second part of verse 6. He says, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. And we are his house. So the author, he changes his metaphor and it is again here. And he says, the house is now God's people, the followers of Jesus Christ. Peter, he uses similar imagery for the followers of Jesus being a house 
in his writing too, in 1 Peter 2.5, he says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Paul tells us we're a temple of the Holy Spirit. It says, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Perseverance is one of the marks of a true believer and follower of Jesus Christ. The person who gives up on Jesus and walks away never to return was not a real true believer and follower of Jesus to begin with. When a person comes to true saving faith in Jesus Christ, having a life-changing encounter with him, it says we are born again by the Spirit of God. And that's not something that you have and then you don't have. Jesus gets into you, putting his new life in you, and that new life grows in you, and it can't be extinguished. If it could, it wouldn't be much of a life. Your perseverance as a follower of Jesus Christ is obvious evidence of his new life in you. You as a believer, you might worry if you are really saved or not, if you really have salvation in Christ or not. And I would ask you, this question, if you're struggling with that, and it's a struggle that that many Christians have at various times in their life. But I would ask you, have you given up on Jesus? Have you walked away from him? And the answer is no, you haven't. Instead, you're desperately hanging on to Jesus, hoping you are saved, praying you are saved, crying out that you're saved. What does that tell you about you? It tells you that you are truly his. You've not turned away from him. You're like Peter. When Jesus asked him if he wanted to leave Jesus too after many people had stopped following him. And Peter replied, he said, Lord, to whom shall I go? You have the words of eternal life. The person who claimed to be a Christian at one time and has walked away and embraced something else or nothing at all, that's the person who's in danger and is questionable if they ever really were a born-again follower of Jesus Christ, time will tell. What is our hope that we are to hold on to and never let go of what we are to hold on firmly to? It's Jesus Christ himself. We're to fix our thoughts on him. That's how we stand in the middle of the storms that are coming at us in this life that are seeking to tear us down and knock us over and pull us away. We're to fix our thoughts on Jesus, who Jesus is and what he's done for us. To summarize what we have even read today, he's our apostle, the one sent to us from God to call us to God. He's our high priest, representing us before God, offering himself as the atoning sacrifice for our sins, continually making intercession for us, intervening on our behalf before God the Father. 
He's more faithful than Moses was at carrying out the mission that God gave him to do. He's done everything perfectly. He's like the builder of a great house. While Moses was just a part of the house that the builder made. He's the son of God's house. While Moses was simply a faithful servant in that house. He's building us into a living house, a sanctuary in which God dwells. He lives in us. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Let's fix our thoughts on Jesus. Let's seek to know him better and better. He's given us a confident hope in which we can glory. I'm reminded of Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. The essence of Paul's prayer for them was similar to the encouragement that we're given here in Hebrews, that we would know the Lord better and better. Paul writes in Ephesians 1.15, he says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Timothy Keller had an interesting insight about Paul's prayer here, which gets at the same central idea that the writer of Hebrews is also driving at. Keller writes this, It's remarkable that in all of his writings, Paul's prayers for his friends contain no appeals for changes in their circumstances. It's certain that they lived in the midst of many dangers and hardships. They faced persecution, death from disease, oppression by powerful forces, and separation from loved ones. Their existence was far less secure than ours is today. Yet in these prayers, you see not one petition for a better emperor or president, for protection from marauding armies, or even for bread for the next meal. Paul does not pray for the goods we would usually have near the top of our list of requests. Now, does that mean it would have been wrong to pray for such things? Not at all. As Paul knew, Jesus himself invites us to ask for our daily bread and that God would deliver us from evil. In 1 Timothy Two, Paul directs his readers to pray for peace, for a good government, and for the needs of the world. In his own prayers, then, Paul is not giving us a universal model for prayer in the same way Jesus did. Rather, in them, he reveals what he asked most fervently for his friends, what he believed was the most important thing God could give them. And what is that? It is to know him better. See, we're inclined to pray 
for and about our material needs and our wants, our circumstances, our difficulties, social and political concerns. And as Timothy Keller rightly points out, there is nothing wrong with praying about those things, but if we were to concentrate our efforts on the most important thing, knowing the Lord better, many of these other things would no longer be so pressing and overwhelming. We would instead be firmly grounded in Him, our rock, our fortress, our deliverer, our salvation, our provider, our peace, our joy. Hebrews 3.1 Holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle, and high priest. Let's pray. Father, that is our prayer today and our hope that we would fix our thoughts on Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Deliverer, our Provider. Our priest, the one who gives us a foundation and a framework for all of life. Lord, help us to push out lesser things to take hold of you, Lord, to grow in our knowing of you. Make that so in Jesus' name. Amen.